Welcome to The Rest is Education. We're here today discussing the question, how do we teach for a sustainable future? I'm David Marshall. I'm Ross Borthwick. And I'm Aaron Huber. So, Ross, the first thing we thought we'd do, because I think of you as being the kind of like sustainable development goal guru, um, we're going to be talking about the sustainable development goals and... um, I was wondering if you could name some of the sustainable development goals for us, and then we can talk about what they are and why they exist. So, Ross, do you think there's quite a lot of them? Do you think you could name all the United Nations sustainable development goals? Um, I think I probably couldn't name all 17 of them. But uh, can I, just before you challenge me and before you get your endorphin hit when I fail, can can I have a go just explaining what the Sustainable Development Goals are? Yes, you should probably yeah. do that first. Sorry, I skipped I skipped yeah. a, a step there. Tell us what yeah, they are. Fine. No, you were just getting too excited. You wanted. I was getting excited by challenging you can't to the Borthwick to... Challenge. Can't, can't wait to see me fail. Um, right, so um, the Millennium Development Goals came in first off, and they were first talked about in 1990, but the, the idea was that between the Millennium, 2000 and 2015, there would be uh, an assessment of whether or not some goals could be met by the United Nations. And in the end, they weren't reviewed until early in 2016. Um, but the the idea is that, that three and a half of them were successful. So I'm just going to tell you about the eight of them first. So number one, this is the Millennium Development Goals, to eradicate extreme poverty and hunger. Number two, to achieve universal primary education. Number three, to promote gender equality and empower women. Number four, to reduce child mortality. Number five, improve maternal health. Six, combat HIV and AIDS, malaria and other diseases. Seven, ensure environmental sustainability. And eight, global partnerships for development. Now, the the three that supposedly were met... Can I I guess, Ross? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. We've got uh, child mortality, uh, maternal uh, life, and... um, uh universal no not universal education those are the two i don't know two Uh, i get two of the three okay so the first one is actually uh helpfully target one so extreme hunger so apparently the way that that was measured was the the un wanted in those 15 years to halve the number of people on the planet who were supposedly living in extreme hunger and they feel that they did that um, I, I, I have to interject here, and I feel like I feel like this is a very hot topic right now. With it's a hunger. massive topic, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not been solved. It's, no, no, we're not saying that hunger. <laughs> we're not saying that no, extreme no, hunger is being but, solved, but, are so we? That what, so what the UN did was they patted themselves on the back and said, "Yes, we've we've halved the number of people living in extreme uh, poverty and hunger by our own measure." But what we're going to do is give ourselves some more goals on exactly the same things, which you're going to test me on and I'm going to fail in a moment. But uh, so that that was the first one. Um, so these so are the millennium, just to clarify, these are the millennium, millennium development, goals. development goals. And when did they shift to being the the, the sustainable development goals? So the, okay, so the draft sustainable development goals came in, in in 2015, but they weren't they weren't applied till 2016, which is sort of when these closed out, when the millennium development goals closed out. So if you think about like uh, you know charities operating around the world, and and their switch of focus that was 2016. But the, these sustainable development goals are supposed to be met by 2030. 
which I think dovetails nicely with a lot of other UN targets, which I think you're going to mention later on. But um, the the other Millennium Development Goals that were supposedly met, uh, so uh, Goal 3, which was to promote gender equality, okay, um, apparently that was that was done. You know, the disparity, the window of disparity was closed. And so, again, one of the problems with the, the UN's measure is that they're they're basically not saying that we want, you know, I don't know, 80% of, of this to be, re, you know, the di- disparity to be reduced. A lot of the time that the bar was for success was actually lower than than you would imagine. Um, so the malaria and, and TB, that was uh, target six, that was uh, achieved. And uh, the, the reduction, you know, the level of reduction that the UN want to achieve was achieved. And and then the, the final one, which was hard, they, they've recorded as being at 50% achieved, uh, was actually the, the sanitation and water. So they're saying that actually the sanitation element wasn't achieved, but the... Um, access to, to safe water was achieved. And I think that, well, they're saying it's actually part of goal seven. One of the problems is that there are only eight millennium goals, but they all have like subsections. And I think that's why we've now moved to a system of having 17 goals, just because the subsections really deserve their own, their own moment. So let's just, because I feel like, Ross, if we left you, you could talk about the history of these for a long time. And they're obviously super important. But just Feel to get to the point, we're actually we want to test you. We want to see whether you you know the seventeen sustainable development goals, and this is this is the the Borthwick challenge. So, okay. Ross, give us your attempt. It has to be. Should we say it has to be no? No, it doesn't have to be in order. Can you just give them? No, no, that's too difficult. That's too uh, difficult. Go ahead, Ross. I, I've got them pulled up. I'm I'm cheating, so yeah. I'm gonna. I'll keep okay. track. So I do not have them pulled up. I haven't done a, a sort of Rory Stewart and and had a frantic Google. Um, I have got my eyes closed, and you two can verify that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna aim for nine. So, All right, good luck. Uh, Wait, good sorry, luck. sorry. Can I just say, as an educator, I think you should aim higher because expectations should be higher than that. Should okay, aim, for, the, aim for seventeen? You might get nine. But higher. these are the these are the UN goals, so you should probably aim lower. I was just gonna say, like the UN with the MDGs, I'm I'm gonna aim for for eight or nine. Uh, right. So, life on land. Life below water, zero hunger, uh, gender equality, that crops up again, I think. Responsible consumption and production. Now, the reason I remember the wording of that, even though it's a bit awkward, is because I'm sure I delivered it at least three times as a form assembly uh, back at our old old digs. What else have we got on that? Uh, Partnerships for the goals. What am I up to at the moment? Six. What else have we got? I'm right. I'm running. I'm running out of time. Have I, have I Five up? seconds. Four seconds. I God. feel I need a bingo card. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open my eyes. Um, six. All right. I failed. Six. I failed. <laughs> All right. So I'll okay. go through some of these. Yeah. Um, let's pick up. So what, I guess I, just to make it clear, though, um, some of these are. I think a lot of people think these uh, are all around the climate and climate change, and, and if. We'll go through them, and some of the ones that Ross said, you can see they are about sort of a wider uh, reach of uh, global improvement and sustainable development. So uh, Ross got uh, no poverty, no hunger. Those are the first two. Good health and well-being. Uh, so that, I think that probably ties into like malaria and, and HIV uh, millennium goals. Quality education. Ross, you missed that one as a teacher. <laughs> Gender equality, you got that. Clean water and sanitation. 
uh, affordable and clean energy, uh, decent work and economic growth, industrial innovation and infrastructure, which I think is a super interesting one, reduced inequalities, sustainable cities and communities, your favorite one, responsible consumption and production, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace, justice, and strong institutions. Oh, yes. And and, uh, partnership for the goals. And you, you got partnership for the goals, didn't you, Ross? You got that one. He did. He did. That's an interesting one. So uh, because I remember having to cover that one and it, with a class and it was quite a tricky one uh, because it's sort of like um, about communicating all the goals. Um, and that that's sort of quite hard to do. I mean, not that I'm saying that covering clean water is easy, but it's certainly got something more tangible you can sort of study and you can look at. Um, when you're talking about communication of the goals, you're on the kind of hazy area of discussion for children well, in primary you, school. If you were teaching it next week, you could talk about what's going on in Egypt at the moment, couldn't you? So let's talk yeah. about what's going on in Egypt at the moment. What's just finished uh, just two days ago? Well, okay. Uh, no, it's COP27. <laughs> I'm not sure <answering laughs> <my> question. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry i had to realize was I, I still being quizzed there or yeah no I, no no i, I, I just like you were looking doing at. a rhetorical question what, it's cop 27 of course it's finished yeah. uh on the 18th and there's been some sort of interesting things that's come out of it we don't want to get sidetracked onto talking about this too much but we did say obviously that everything that happens in a, a climate uh sort of summit uh is relevant schools because it's going to trickle down in some way or another i I think uh just these endless uh uh parade of climate summits just gives keeps it in the news and and allows us uh as as teachers something to to critique and look at um i think it, it it can be a bit depressing to look at them though and i think the sustainable development goals maybe uh, taught better uh, without focusing on those climate summits. I think the, the best thing I've seen about the this one in Egypt is that 800 private planes flew to Egypt to tell everyone to ride bicycles. Um, and I think that kind of sums up what's happened in, in Egypt this year. Well, you know, Th- Greta Thunberg and, and others, uh, you know, they, they have been using the term for some time now, haven't they? Sort of enough blah, blah. And I think you know, that, that sums it up quite nicely as well. It's like, we, we know what the problems are. Let's get on with solving them. And she didn't go, did she? I, I think she stopped going to these because she says they're sort of a waste of time. And of course, for the last few years, Greta has been the sort of touchstone for schools as a sort of child activist uh, who we sort of look to, to to sort of reflect what we want our children in the classroom to be thinking about. But of course, she's not now going to these and children can look at these, particularly perhaps the older children who've now sort of grown up with quite knowing quite a lot about the climate summits. Uh, they might look at them and get a bit disheartened. It, it sort of brings us back to how do we as teachers translate it to the classroom and how do we make it realistic and how do we teach it in a way that makes sense for children and makes it perhaps not feel hopeless for children? I think one of the problems I ran into with with trying to incorporate these climate summits was that it, it did bring the the mood down in the classroom to, for a bunch of kids to see that a bunch of uh, you know global leaders couldn't couldn't get meaningful action done. So steering away from them uh, and focusing on uh, I think something 
that got brought up in the amazing interview you did, Ross, in oh. our previous episode. If just gave a plug for that, everyone listened to Ross's amazing interview. Uh, but futures thinking, and which is a really cool concept that you guys uh, brought up in that interview. But thinking about uh, sort of solutions based uh, outside of what uh, maybe global leaders are not coming through with. So. If they're not on the national curriculum, what's actually giving us a mandate to teach them? Yes, Ross, I mean, you made this great point in the interview. If we're not teaching the global goals, uh, what will happen to the goals? Do they even exist? And I think this is an important question because we do think they're relevant. We do think they're important. We may not think that the COP27 and the climate summits are necessarily sort of developing all the things we want to see but on a school level we can do quite a lot and I think it is important that we we bring these into schools one of the big questions that we're going to look at is is how we bring them into schools and I guess one of the things that came up last week was that actually you know there's a perception isn't there that there needs to be top-down driving of, of the goals and and they're embedding in in what's happening within the school setting but but perhaps that's not always the case you know obviously one of the big reasons why it, it's not falling into to most classrooms is because uh the challenge of finding the space for it but uh we we took a a, a look at these goals and you can see that there there might be some logical places where you you can touch on them within your curriculum without having to stray too far away from what you might need to accomplish for various uh, exam boards or whatever objectives you're trying to meet. Uh, I guess we, we could take a look at some examples of how we might do that. David's got some great ones ready to go. I do. And I th- I also want to come back to the interview that Ross did with Eve and Helen. And I can't remember if it was Eve or Helen that said this, but she did, one of them did talk about where, ask where does this fit? Where, which lesson does this fit in? Um, do you fit it in geography? Do you fit it in PSHCE? Uh, some schools do philosophy for children. Is that a place that we can discuss these global goals? And we we were having a chat just before this podcast, and we were sort of saying, well, for all of our subjects, I'm I teach English. Ross, you teach primarily history, and I think Aaron, you primarily geography. We could we can think of loads of examples of how we can do them. Um, and I also know science teachers and uh, music teachers that say, yeah, absolutely, we can fit these in um, and uh, we can cover these things sort of in the curriculum. And, yeah, we were going to look at a few examples of, of what we might do. Um, but I, I think going back to that point that was made in the interview, it, it's possible if they don't fit in any one particular subject that they could get lost between the subjects. Um, and you end up sort of with nobody really teaching them or they're only being really half done. Do you guys have an experience of, of of teaching them and is it primarily teaching them in your lessons or is it primarily teaching them in a sort of um, form period type thing, sort of homeroom sort of lesson? What, what, what have you done in the past before with these global goals? Uh, so I'll, I'll just jump in. I've done it uh sort of both ways. Uh, so I primarily teach geography and a lot of these sort of naturally kind of fit within that realm. Uh, obviously like climate action, uh, clean energy, poverty, uh, clean water sanitation, sustainable cities and communities, right? Just sort of naturally kind of f- flow into topics that may get 
get covered within a, a geography course. But I think a more meaningful way, and I, I know Ross has done something similar to this, is more of a transdisciplinary project that involved uh, the entire grade team, right? So that it's it doesn't just fall on the humanities or the science teachers to push these, these important topics, but uh, a separate space where uh, everyone can work together and, and add their, their expertise to, to touch on some, or, you know, I guess it's hard to get all of these goals within a, a, a single project, but to touch on these, these concepts. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot's being done, particularly with the, the IB and as the international baccalaureate becomes more popular in senior schools, there's a lot more project work. And so there's a lot more hands on opportunities to do something meaningful and, and, and actually quite empowering as well, because part, part of this, remember, is that we want the, the pupils that we're teaching to feel as though they can do something about the global goals we don't we don't want it to have the opposite effect and i think um looking at some research that you brought up there was a poll in america wasn't there in 2019 where uh, there was one one of the reasons given i think for for teachers not wanting to teach it was there was a, a preconception that by teaching it you you then instill a bit of, of eco anxiety um and with anxiety on the rise generally amongst pupils we we want to try and avoid that and so doing a, pro- a project lends itself to to perhaps um encouraging empowerment but um i was going to give an example from the independent sector so uh there's a um an exam body the ISCB and they have uh, courses for uh 11 plus and 13 plus and they are really heavily pushing a new course called the independent project qualification and there's a new case study which has just come out recently about how that that course can be delivered using sustainability as a framework. And of course, with the, the sustainable development goals, you've got 17 potential topic areas. And, and if the pupils are selecting their own project, then that's 17 sort of avenues they could go down potentially. So that that is a really useful way of doing it and there are a lot of resources surrounding that which are free to to download and i know you guys have done a lot of research on on where you can find different types of resources but it, it seems like if you are in an environment where you're encouraged to teach sustainability in in that way the resources are out there so if given that there's sort of there are there are things happening like this ib and and there are, there are sort of other developments there is there just a, a thought experiment? What would it look like if we didn't have separate subjects like English, math, science, and geography, history, and instead you put something like the Sustainable Development Goals at the heart of your curriculum? So could that work? I don't know if this is a good idea or a terrible idea, but if you put it at the heart and then those subjects were kind of around the outside, rather like that that International Baccalaureate ring, where you see kind of like what's at the centre of what you study, would that work in terms of uh, the the goals themselves, or would it just sort of ruin the education system? So I think there there is a school doing that in Bali called the Green School, which is a, a fairly new school. And of course, you know, any, any school, I guess that that came about before the Sustainable Development Goals, they wouldn't have had the idea to do that. But but more more recent schools that have been founded, say in the 
the last sort of six years or so, they they are increasingly using the SDGs as a framework. So I think absolutely, why why not? And I think it can be done in a, a sensible way. Um, the the difficulty is, as you rightly say, you know, is the perception there that that something is being lost and and replaced? And I think it's possibly how the the whole system is marketed to parents. Um, and and that would have to be done quite thoughtfully, I think. Well, I don't think they. I, mean, I know they weren't designed to be uh, a foundation for an education program or an education system, right? So this is, I think, it's something that educators and communities have decided are important for kids to know. So I I, I think kudos to to schools that have found a way to do it. Uh, to, to develop their whole system around it. I, I don't know if it's necessary, but I do think it's important to, to make it, uh, uh, I guess, one of the pillars. Okay, so maybe we don't need to go to such extremes and that actually a lot of this has already been done at the moment. And, you know, I, I don't know whether it's being implicitly done or whether it's being explicitly done or whether it's more important to explicitly say that, you know, this project is touching upon this goal, this goal, this goal. Um, yeah, Ross. So I've in teaching geography. I've I've focused lessons and and projects around the goals, but a lot of what just sort of naturally falls within the realm of of what I teach covers a lot of these same concepts uh, without having to explicit, explicitly say this is a sustainable development goal or this is related to the sustainable development goals because they're so important on their own. That these are, are concepts that relate to to important key ideas of of sustainable future. One of the difficulties I have as a, as an English teacher, and I suspect this is quite common, perhaps for those teaching or English maths, is that it's very difficult to fit things into the curriculum. We tend to be really tight. Uh, the curriculum's a little bit like a a bus that's already over full, and it's stocked absolutely. Uh, with and people are standing, people are in the seats, people are in the alleyways. It, there's just no room to get anything more into it because we're sort of doing as much as we possibly can. And that was the main that was the main riposte in America, wasn't it? During uh, that poll in 2019, 65 percent of teachers said actually they didn't they didn't feel like they covered the sustainable development goals because it either didn't relate to their subject or they couldn't quite see a way of fitting it in. Oh uh, yeah, I was just I was thinking about it. As you know, I always think about teaching stuff in sort of a, a horizontal plane. Everything within my class in my year are they getting all of this in you know seventh grade that I teach, and they don't have to. There's more than seventh grade. Uh, so if you think about these goals, and not just within your silo of teaching, but within an education experience throughout multiple years, then. It isn't on every teacher to touch on every one of these goals. It's just on every teacher to touch on some of these goals. That's a really good point, isn't it? I think Eve talked a little bit about that, that actually when you get to senior school, you tend to have actually optional subjects. And so I guess the main main concern there, Aaron, is that pupils would go through and and have, have missed some of those 17 goals. You know, they might be taught geography by you until a certain age and then they might drop geography and they might end up 
you know, not not having someone who is perhaps as, as avaricious. One of the, the ways that it could be taught in, in a more explicit manner is through PHSE. And I know that there are different acronyms for that now, but depending on where you are. But um, one thing we've all got a shared experience of is different forms taking a goal, researching it and presenting it in the form of an assembly. And, and that's, you know, it's pretty achievable, I would say. Um, as to the value of that, you know, it could be argued that it's a bit of a tick box, but, um, you know, and, and maybe some for some year groups, I know, David, you were saying it's quite difficult to try and cover off, say, goal 17 partnerships for the goals. It, it's a bit it's a bit harder to, to define. And so that might only be relevant for certain year groups. Um, so it, it does require a bit of thought. But that, that that's one idea. I think the problem with it living in PSHE or, or in, a, in America, that's called homeroom uh, for the American listeners out there, is that things that, that go on in those forums are usually seen as a side piece and, and aren't given much value. So if the sustainable, sustainable development goals only live in homeroom or only live in PSHE, then students don't, don't put the necessary value on it that I think we believe it it dictates or it needs. So what that leaves us with is perhaps transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary projects that involve everyone coming back to that idea and how that could give perceived value into what you're doing, but also end in an action piece, which empowers students, which helps hopefully to fight this uh, eco anxiety. And, and so, yeah, so in our in our current setting, I, I'd say we've we've actually made an explicit uh, lesson within the timetable within which to work on these projects. And, and I think on, on paper, that is great. And actually, the outcomes have been fantastic. And I'm very happy to, to go into a bit of detail in a sec. But um, just what you were saying there about homeroom being seen as, as a sort of less important part of the, the day Um over here, we're finding that actually over time, there are more and more pupils taking part in additional peripatetic lessons. And of course, throughout the day, those pupils are withdrawn from the mainstream lessons. Some lessons like core subjects are ring fenced. And so naturally, any sort of project is a prime candidate to be interrupted by by pupils being withdrawn and so it's a real shame, but unfortunately it's it's a reality that that lots of children are missing out on these opportunities because they're taking part in other opportunities. And I, you know, I don't, don't want to be the one to judge which opportunity is most important, but um, you know, if we're talking about combating anxiety, feeling empowered, giving them real world action opportunities before they leave school, then, you know, I, I mean, I'm perhaps preaching to the choir here, but I think, you know, it, it's I think it's a no brainer um, to give an example of, of some of the things that we've been doing. Um, pupils can work on their own in pairs or in groups of three on any project. It can be as tactile as they like. It has to come under the umbrella of sustainability. Most pupils look to do something practical and they've looked at what's going on within school. And my personal favorite project is actually all about the, the food within school. So um, a group of girls last year looked at 
food miles and they they worked out how many deliveries a week we were getting in terms of food delivered to the school where that food was coming from um how how it was packaged all of that they interviewed all the chefs and and emailed the logistics companies and they came up with some fantastic data and then they looked at food waste within that what was being waste wasted and what we could do with it within our school setting and and they came up with some brilliant practical solutions so i think things like that that are there's a bit of research there's a bit of teamwork there's a, a bit of presenting uh, and there's actually a practical sort of solution to you know as an end point i think they're, they're incredibly valuable that sounds like a great project ross and 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 did they get a lot out of that? Did they did they sort of talk about what they learned from it and how much they sort of did it? Did it kind of have a measurable impact? Right, hugely. So um, those, those girls actually won a, a national award. So they won a, an Eco Schools Award from Schoolhouse Magazine. Um, they are obviously really pleased with it, but but one of the the main things that came out of it was actually their running of the project. And one of the outcomes is that they they sort the the food waste within the dining hall and they manage what happens to that waste. And there are sort of a few different avenues that it goes down. But I think actually seeing the senior children within the school taking ownership of of a whole school problem, I think that that for me is is the main value because the younger pupils are looking up to those older pupils and seeing that they're physically solving a problem. And and I, I just think it's wonderful. One of the things we've done, we have our school, uh, something called Jewel Books. Uh, you may have something similar, which is a book that they take all the way through their school um, career. So they start in reception and at year six, when they leave, they they have this book with with things from every year. And the Jewel Book idea, sorry, that's my dog in the background, if you hear any any noises. The Jewel Book idea is that you, you have your one of your best pieces of work beautifully presented. And this year, or rather, you know, last year we did... Um, the sustainable development goals so each class a bit like you're talking about assemblies each class got a different goal and they had to study it and write about it so for my class year five we were all it was all about energy and they were looking at the difference between renewable energies and other forms of energies and they were sort of examining that and producing a piece of writing on it and that was an example of a way in which it could fit into the curriculum in in the way in which we could fit it into English and it was really relevant and it was also we were learning about discursive writing we were learning about all the things that you do in English like connectives and writing with good sentences but through the sustainable development goals so it's kind of linking to what you were saying Aaron about about how these can have a, a real world sort of link to the curriculum if that makes sense uh, I mean did, did you find that as challenging to implement or, or did you get buy-in from the kids with that or was there pushback i got I, I found that it was hard to plan for me i had to do a lot of thinking and research about the way it would work but then when it actually came to teaching i had a very set way of teaching discursive writing so i took what i knew as an english teacher and that was the kind of how we were doing this and that the objectives were all about you know grammar and and structuring and planning and then I took the knowledge, which was actually they were learning across the board. So the great thing was I didn't need to teach them about energy because they were doing that in science. So in that way, it was a cross-curricular project. And I, and I think that was nice because you're really then, if we're talking cognitive load, 
you know how much I love my education research you know we're, we're reducing the cognitive load because the children are learning what they're learning in science and they're applying it in English so I found that was easy in the sense that it was a lot of thinking a lot of planning across different departments but the outcome was really exciting a bit like your project Ross but in a different way no, it sounds great. It sounds fantastic. I think actually the the crux of it is it's it's coming back to this whole idea of of actually what is important within an education because we all have exams that we're, we're obviously preparing the pupils for, but we also have elements of our subjects that we feel are important to teach, and and we we're constantly trying to strike the balance. And you would you would hope that that all of us are, are trying to prepare the pupils for the real world and and how we do that is down to us as individuals as much as it is covering off you know a particular exam syllabus and so really what it's sounding like is that you you rely so heavily on the individual teacher because we we talked earlier about whether it is top down or, or not um but it's sounding like perhaps where it's being best done on an implicit level it's it's just down to the the caliber of the teacher and what you're doing in english sounds phenomenal but then there there are so many different aspects to it aren't there because if you're feeling really under the cosh in terms of you know not having enough time to prepare for lessons and things you've just said there that it's very difficult planning wise to to make it valuable so you know are you going to be prioritizing the sustainable development goals in a in a subject like English, if you're finding that actually day to day, it's a struggle just to get the basics covered off. Um, and I think that that's point, a big thing. Oh, Aaron, you go. Just on that point, it it's beyond just the individual teacher because, you know, with David's example, if, you know, the science teacher wasn't as gung ho about teaching what they needed to know for David to, to build on, then that puts David in a bad position. And so it's, it's almost, it's beyond the, I mean, it, it is the individual teacher, but it's also the team of teachers to make sure that this can happen in, so a, in cool. a meaningful yeah. way. So it's all about collaboration within a setting and perhaps between settings as well. And I'll give you an example of something that happened in, in my school last week. So um, we held a conference, a climate com- conference, basically a, a um, COP27 for local schools and each school sent their climate council and they all collaborated together on the sustainable development goals and and in mixed groups came up with solutions i think i think it was in the form of like a tiktok video or something similar and they each had to present this video it wasn't a real video but it was you know a stage performance and so it was really fun for the children they addressed the the sustainable development goals and they gave themselves targets to work on and there's going to be another conference in the spring term where they can look at what they've introduced in their setting. So there's like a, a real tangible outcome they can measure and, and talk about in the future. So I think that, that for me, seemed like a fantastic event. But um, what you're saying is it relies on multiple people in multiple settings to make that happen, right? So, for instance, we invited a lot of schools. Less than half of them came for various reasons. So, you know, if we're applying that problem within a school, if we're saying, right, okay, we want the English and science teachers. So um, is that sort of what you mean, Aaron? Well, yeah, these are huge global problems. So trying to address them alone in your classroom 
is you're setting yourself up for for failure. So I don't think I think that I mean that's one of the the reasons why teachers don't do it is they they work in a silo or they feel that they work in a silo and and like you know climbing this mountain seems impossible or to do it in a meaningful way seems impossible. Um, so it's better not to attempt it uh, than to fail miserably or feel that you're just uh, greenwashing, you know, your, your education or your, your program. This is where the, the aspect of community comes in so strongly because what a school is, is, uh, is a way of forming community. It's a way of um, people coming together. And we can talk about many different purposes for a school. Obviously one of the big purposes is for children to have jobs and for children to sort of get that meaningful work and, and get the qualifications they need to. But I think in an age where we don't have a religion as much as a sort of community cohesion, in certainly in this country, schools do a lot of the job of, of that. They bring people together. And multiple schools, when they connect up, as in your example, when that actually works, Ross, it, 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 it can have a very powerful impact on a local level. So whatever your sort of uh, community is, it can it can really sort of um, it can make a difference. But but it does take a lot of people. You can't be working on your own in a, in a classroom, as you said, Aaron. I think, you know, looking at schools as, as um, means by which pupils can serve their community is a really interesting conversation topic. And, and if you think of like D of E, for instance, Duke of Edinburgh Award, that is hugely popular, isn't it, in the sort of Anglophone world? And and I think, you know, certainly not just the UK, but lots of Commonwealth countries. And, and actually, you can do it as an individual in any country, I believe. Um, but, but most people, the vast majority of people that do the Duke of Edinburgh Award do it through their school. And there's a service element to that. And so you have to volunteer for a set number of hours within your community. And, and if that's being orchestrated through school... I think you know that that's great, and and there there might be a way to to really signpost the goals through those sorts of schemes. But of course, there are limitations with the Duke of Edinburgh Award. It's not for all ages, and uh, it's not being done in in every school. Speaking of outside the classroom, I thought Eve's example in the podcast uh, that you did last week was really interesting about examining the school's role. Her school, Cheltenham Ladies College, the responsibilities. She was thinking about how it goes beyond teaching the global goals and it was about living them in the way the school runs, uh, how it was managed and the school, the way the school culture reflected that commitment. I thought, Ross, that when she talked about the looking at the things they had in terms of investments and whether it was being invested in fossil fuels, looking at heat pumps, looking at how they can get the children involved in discussing these things, uh, all of those things felt like it was um, the word that came to mind was integrity. It was about about not just standing up and saying this is what you should do as a teacher. We you know we know all the answers. I think she mentioned that. It was about what are we doing as a school? How are we using our built environment to further these global goals? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the one of the things that we we should be aware of with with regard to um, resources and things, is that press and play approach, isn't it? And and I know that lots of resources are, have been created really generously by a lot of people. But if they are press and play, then they can really, in a way, turn the children off a little bit, or or at least 
signpost to the children that they might not be as valuable. And so going back to that word integrity, David, in terms of the the wider school and how it operates, I see it as the same. You know, if you're if you're delivering something in the classroom or if an individual teacher is delivering something in the classroom and it is all about sustainable development and it's really authentic to that teacher and the children believe it. But then outside of that, it's quite obvious that the school as an organization does not live it then you know that that's ultimately going to undermine what what the teacher is trying to achieve and it's sort of what you were saying Aaron you know it it needs it needs to be a, a, a collaborative approach i'd love to give a few examples of of some of the things i've i've found out about sort of what there is to support schools with this because obviously we know Cheltenham ladies college is uh, is a well endowed um uh, independent private school but there's a lot of schools around the country that are looking at how to transition to using less carbon to be more sustainable. There's something called Transform Our World, which is a great website, has loads of CPD free resources and some resources you pay for. So that's my dog in the background. Um, they have they talk about something called the School Climate Action Planner, which is a free resource to enable schools to plan with teachers, with students, uh, with governors um, about how they can move towards more sustainability. Um, there's some exciting things happening up and down the country with regards to that. And it's all linked into the UK government strategy on sustainability and climate change, which is a policy paper that came out in April of this year, which I, I think was it. Yeah, this year. And I think it's, it's one that definitely I'd recommend anyone who's interested in this to, to read and, and have a look at, because that is talking about how do we move schools towards zero carbon, which Eve was mentioning in the podcast. Yeah, and I think, you know, outside of education, a lot's being done, particularly towards 2030. I know the, the goal is, is 2050, but the uh, the 2030 target of, of zero carbon, particularly in organizations like uh, farming. So you've got the National Farmers Union. They're using similar software to, to measure carbon sequestration against their, their carbon output. And lots of farms I know are on track to meet that 2030 target. And actually, weirdly, farms and schools have, have a lot in common in terms of resource input um, and, and the fact that it is, is like a working estate, you know, whether it's urban or, or rural, that there is land use and, and how you go about it. Uh, and, and they actually both use an awful lot of energy or, or certainly can do. Um, so I think, I think that's really interesting. I think that that document, we should all be using that. Definitely. And I would say that I would look at also going back to Eve's, uh, I think she talked about, was it a future vision? She talked about systems thinking. I think she called it future thinking, which is future something thinking, that, right. yeah, uh, sounds really, really interesting. It's the first I heard of it, but I definitely would want to start putting that into a strategy to teach these goals to keep it a little bit more positive. Because that's what it is. We're talking about how we can make it meaningful, how we can make the understanding not just of climate, but of all of these things, gender and uh, equality and poverty, hunger and, and all the different goals, how we can make it relevant to children and how we can teach them about what they can do uh, in, in terms of their understanding of the world as it is now. And I guess as it's going to be in the future. 
Brilliant. Well, I think maybe as it should be in the future, as, as they hope it will be in the future. That's, the, that's the idea of future thinking, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I, I suppose part of the, the beauty of that idea is that actually they all have different visions for the future and then they can discuss them and they can come up with some comparisons and uh, some common ground. Um, in terms of wrapping up, we've got some resources to share, haven't we, Aaron? Do you, do you want to start on those? Yeah, so just uh, as if you're a teacher out there listening and, and, and wondering where you can get started, um, there's lots and lots uh, of different resources out there, not just the ones we're going to mention. But uh, I'll give you two that, that, that are a good starting point. One is called The World's Largest Lesson. Uh, it's a website which has uh, a global goals as a sort of a major campaign of theirs, uh, and it's all focused on, obviously, on, on delivering lessons about them. Uh, another website you can go to is the globalschoolsprogram.org, uh, which seems to be a very, very helpful website. And there's a great United Nations one as well, which I've, uh, which is called unccelearn.org, which has got great things. And you can test yourself on how much you know about the climate crisis and things uh, like that as well, which is, is, is really good for classroom use. Now I've I've got two. I've got Helen Sundaram's Kindness Bank. So if you look, if you just Google the Kindness Bank, that will give you a, a whole bank of of resources. Now the trouble is you have to pay for those, but increasingly, she is discovering independent schools are um, subscribing to use those. And part of the the scheme is that when they subscribe, they automatically sponsor a state school. So if you're interested in these resources, get in touch with Helen, because it could be that actually, um, you know, she needs state schools to to um, to take that on. Um, her resources are fantastic. She's pre-recorded videos or printable resources. I've personally used her resources uh, at least um, with two different year groups. So year six and year seven, I found them to be really valuable. Um, Outside of that, and this is totally for free, there's an organization called Project Everyone, and they have a very similar set of resources, but less uh, videos, more documentary sort of printable resources. But uh, again, they cover all the goals, and, and that is totally free. So that's Project Everyone. And also, can I say, Transform Our World, that, that website I mentioned earlier uh, that has the, the school's action plan is really great. Plus, Global Action Plan UK is a great uh, website that I would recommend. And on the pile of websites, I'm going to give you one more, uh, Gapminder. If you haven't used Gapminder, it's a great way to look at different statistics, looking at income inequality, as, as well as a whole bunch of others uh, in a visual way uh, that I've used uh, quite a bit all the way from uh, middle school through high school students. So Gapminder. We're going to put these links on the pod in the notes, aren't we, as well? We'll do that. You've been listening to The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall. I'm Ross Borthwick. And I'm Aaron Huber. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can also email us at therestiseducation at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.